We have heard a lot about death in recent weeks and even the recent two or three years, especially in our midst of having lost loved ones. I even listened to the sermon last week on uh, by Brother Eric on Deuteronomy 32. And of the great, if you will, the anger of the Lord, the wrath of the Lord upon those that disobey him and do not repent and do not turn from their ways because they are spiritually dead. And we have a sometimes a difficult time understanding when When man dies, as we've heard this week and even last week, brother, I listened to Brother Edmund's sermon two in the afternoon from 2 Corinthians 5, and it was a continuation this morning from Lazarus 16. What happens when one dies? I'm not going to get into the mechanics of that. I wouldn't know where to start. But what we see here is something that was very commonplace especially in the ancient world, especially during the time of Christ, because we see Jesus faced many situations where loved ones had died. We heard this morning about Lazarus, who in Bethany had died, had left two sisters behind. And when he was resurrected, they were going to kill him again because many people believed on Jesus because of what he did. And now we see Jesus, he had just healed this centurion's son in Capernaum without even entering his place. And he just moved on. He didn't go back to see whether he had been healed or not. He knew he would be healed. But he moved on to to a place called Nain. Now, if you look at the map, if you look at, if you were to picture, you know, this is Israel, and and uh, Capernaum may be that block on the left, at the top of the lake, the lake of Sea of Galilee. As Jesus moved down, he would would have moved down through Nazareth, perhaps. I, I think that's where the path he took. He would move down through Nazareth, his hometown, and then come down to Nain, which would be on the way to Jerusalem. And coincidentally, quote-unquote, there's a funeral procession in this town. And it says it's like a city, it had a gate to it. And as he meets this funeral procession, he sees a mother weeping, crying for her only son. And this son was not an infant, it wasn't a child. Jesus called him a young man.
And if I looked in Strong's Concordance when they used that term in, in the Greek. I can't even remember what it's called any, anymore. But it says under 40 years old. I don't know how they gathered that, but probably because it's most commonly used, that term for someone that's under 40 years old. Could have been 25. But the main point is, is that Jesus sees this woman weeping for her son. The only son of his mother. And then the Bible says, and she was a widow. Just like it was with Lazarus, when Lazarus died in Bethany, his, his sisters were weeping sore. The crowd was there very sad and Jesus was moved by what he saw. It says that Jesus, after reassuring Martha, you know, when if you would have been here, he, he, wouldn't have died, he would not have died. You, like you came here too late, Jesus. Jesus said he was the resurrection and the life. If any man believes in him, though he were dead, he would still live. And at this time, doesn't say anything about what Jesus did or how he felt, but he felt the, 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 the grief of this now widow. She's now a widow. She's lost her son. And she not only lost her son, it wasn't just that quote-unquote simple, if I can put it very mildly. But she had lost her livelihood. She had no one to turn to. She had no one to, to help her survive the very severe conditions of that time. She would have also lost her legacy in the future. Who would know that she even existed without someone to bear the name of the family? So there was a lot of things that she would have lost, but one of the things that she would have lost because the land that she had and the possession she had should go to the next male descendant of which she never had. I don't know how they worked that out. I haven't studied that yet. But, but God provided in the law that... <clears throat> If her husband died, that her next of kin, his next of kin, should marry her. If she had no children. And so, she was left alone. And Jesus, seeing this, had compassion on her. Compassion meaning not only feeling for her, but was willing to do something about it. And he said unto her, weep not. Weep not. Jesus wept, but he's telling her, don't weep. Jesus knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. But Jesus wept. So, what does it show to us when they compare the two situations here? What was Jesus weeping for? 
it would appear to me when you eliminate everything, Jesus was not so much weeping that his good friends were sad and grieved. That was part of it. But I believe it's Jesus wept because he saw. So this is what is the end of man. This is the predicament of man. When Jesus came on, I believe it was the Monday before he was crucified, and he came over the same hill near Bethphage, from Bethany going into Jerusalem, he climbed over the mount and it says, and Jesus wept. He wept over Jerusalem because he knew what was going to happen to Jerusalem. His ministry was over. He was going to be crucified within six days. And this is what has come to Israel. This is what it has come to you who are the apple of my eye. Not one stone is going to be left upon another, Matthew 24 says. He told his disciples. So there's a reason Jesus wept. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that stonest the prophets and killest those that are sent unto thee. How often would I have gathered you together as a hen gathers her chicks and ye would not. And we parents, we can understand that. We can somehow identify with that when our children are not coming to God, when they've decided to go their own ways. And we're left to what we may think was our last resort prayer, but we need to pray. Just this, this morning, Sister Agnes was so excited when she showed me the pictures of her brother's baptism. Her sister's baptism before she died some time ago and now her brother's baptism in Breidenbach. And they were just praying and praying and praying. That's all they could do. Share with them the gospel, but being so far away, just pray. That's what we need to do, just pray for our, our loved ones. Because the tragedy of someone dying is not that what a life he missed out on or he didn't rise to his greatest potential or didn't fulfill his dreams. That's not the tragedy. The tragedy is going to the grave without the assurance of living with God forever. In his eternal kingdom. That's the tragedy. So Jesus, when he saw the mother and the procession, he comes up and he stops the bier, the bed, the funeral carriage on which they were carrying this young man, and he touches it. 
And they stop. Now, being a Jew, he would have been condemned for that. You just touched this beer of a dead man, and you are ceremonially unclean. And he said, Young man, I say unto thee, Arise. And he that was dead sat up and began to speak, and he delivered him to his mother. Young man, behold your mother. Can you imagine the, the, the tremendous emotion, the tears of joy, the happiness, and the bewilderment of this procession, especially the mom? And the son who just sees all these people around him. And he simply, and he that was dead sat up and began to speak. And he delivered him to his mother. And there came fear on all, and they glorified God, saying, that a great prophet is risen among us and that God hath visited his people. You see, if you look at the map of Nain, just on the other side of the mount was another place called Shunem, where Elisha had raised the son of the Shunammite woman that had died. And they knew that this was a place not far where the prophet Elisha was. And he was a great prophet. And now this great prophet had come again, another prophet, and he had raised this young man from the dead. And God had visited, shown the sign to them that he had visited his people. So if they accused him of saying, you touched the, the beer of a dead man, and they said, no, he's not dead, he's alive. Prove it. But why this story came to me, this account came to me, was, is as I was mentioning earlier, that we've had many people in this church that had passed on to their reward. And there have been several widows that have been made, that are sitting in our midst. Several of them. And Jesus was so concerned about the destitute, about the widows, about the orphans, that he restored the life of the son of one that would have been a widow for the rest of her life. And I felt pricked in my conscience this past week or so. What have I been doing in that ministry of ministering to the widows? I could say, yeah, I've, I've probably... 
visited sister so-and-so maybe once a month or sister so-and-so I've given them a call once every two weeks but to me I got convicted even more and more there's far more that I can do to, to, to minister to those that are not only widows because there are others that would fall into the category that have nobody or they may have some financial support they may have some you know government support they may have some but in which ways are we as a fellowship individually ministering to the destitute to the under if you will underprivileged that don't have sons and daughters living with them or to visit them and i know there's been great sacrifices being made in these congregations to to parents who are incapacitated with strokes and, and illnesses and to, to other diseases and old age and dementia. I want to go to 1 Timothy chapter 5. I mean, this was such a big issue in the early church that in, in Acts chapter 6, they actually nominated seven men full of the Holy Spirit to attend the tables of the widows to minister to their not only physical needs but I believe to their spiritual welfare. So if we can turn to 1 Timothy chapter 5 this is what the Apostle Paul writes to the young elder in Ephesus Talking about old people now. I'm getting there. I just turned 65. But I consider that there are many others that are elderly that need far more help. I don't know how, what God's going to do with me. I don't know how I'm going to end up. I'm thankful I've got a large family, but some people don't. Rebuke not an elder, but entreat him as a father. And the younger men as brethren... So I don't think necessarily he's talking about elders of a church, but he's comparing older men and younger men. Treat them with respect as fathers and younger men as brethren. We're a family. We need to look out for each other. That's what he's getting at. The elder women as mothers and the younger as sisters with all purity. Honor widows that are widows indeed. What does he mean by that? You're either a widow or you're not a widow. I think what he really means here is there are widows with children, with relatives that can still support them, that can still come and help them out. But there are widows that have no children, that have died or, or they died without having children. When I, and, and you've, you've heard this before, in the, in, in the times of Christ, the young women probably got married as teenagers. It is estimated that anywhere between 12 to 14 years old to 15 years old, they would marry at a very young age and then they'd start having children, as many as possible. Because it's estimated that half the children died before adulthood. 
And if those happen to be men, you've lost your inheritance. And so it was a very cherished thing to have children, to help work the farm, to bring the livelihood, to, to, to sow, to reap, to, to bring in the bread, if you will, the bread, breadwinners. And if a widow was a widow indeed, in other words, a widow then they had no support, you need to honour them. You know, when Timothy later on says that, that those that rule amongst you, the elders that rule amongst you should have double honour, doesn't mean necessarily double respect, although that's maybe implied, but it means that, that they should be recompensed for their service if it involves spending financially to promote and to, to spread the gospel and to, uh, to, to lead and oversee the churches. He says, honour widows that are widows indeed. And then he goes, and if any widow have children, now he's separating the classes, if any widow have children or nephews, then let them first show piety at home to satisfy them. Let the burden of, the, of caregiving and provision for these widows be given first by the family. It's very sad that many would just leave their parents in nursing homes and never visit them again. I don't have time. I'm busy. I have my own family. And these parents are left to the government or to other caregiving. And it says that the woman that has children or nephews, let them first show piety at home to requite their parents, for this is good and acceptable before God. Now she that is a widow indeed and desolate trusts in God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. That's what she does. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying. One that doesn't have any immediate family anymore. She is basically doing this because that's her if you will, her means of survival. In constant communion with God, praying, supplicating God, trusting that God will provide somehow. I remember, and, you, and, and some of you that know that you've been visiting uh, Sister Christina and Sister Elizabeth when they were still younger. I've heard for 30 years, who's going to look after us when we get old? They were pleading with us, why don't we get a, an old age home, someone that, so they can have constantly around them to, to help them, to support them. This was their greatest fear, that when they get old, because they don't have any sons, they don't have anyone here, any relatives in Canada, that they fear that they'll be left to their own. 
But I'm so thankful. At least they had their neighbor that they treated as a son, Michael. That would come and buy groceries for them and do the work in the backyard and whatever it could be. When they're in, in, in need, they would come and help. Shouldn't it be our people, the church people? I'm glad there are people that go there. They go there, do the gardening, carry the garbage out, whatever it could be doing. But I'm giving, this is where I'm being convicted. That we as a church body need to be more involved with our own. This is, this is what even, just keep reading with me. But she that liveth in pleasure is dead while she liveth. There are those widows that Paul says could be living in pleasure. Even though they're widows, she's dead. They are dead. If they're not living to God, if they're not praying and trusting in God and supplicating night and day, depending on him, but rather going out and living it up while they can. And he said... To Timothy, these things give in charge. Charge them, command them, that they may be blameless. Look at verse 8. If you haven't got your Bible open, I would ask you to do so. 1 Timothy 5, verse 8. But if any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house. Can you fill in the rest? But if any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is what? Worse than an unbeliever. This is what took me back when I read this yesterday. You can do all the worship. You can come to church every Sunday. You can go, I think it was mentioned this morning, go through our religious activities. But if we haven't done this, if we haven't cared for our own, and you say to your mom or to your, your, your grandmother, you know, well, sorry, I'm too busy. I know you put in a lot of time with me and I know you've, you've expended blood, sweat and tears for my welfare, but I can't do both. I need my career. I've got to get ahead with my career, my job, whatever it is. I understand we've got young families. I understand that. But he says, if you don't provide for your own, you have denied the faith. And you're worse than an infidel. Let not a widow be taken into the number under threescore years old, having been the wife of one man. So there was this roster back in uh, Acts chapter 6 when they, when they uh, nominated these uh, or selected these seven deacons to look after the widows in the daily ministry, because there was complaint to the Grecian widows, not, you know, those that were Grecianized, if you will, that they were not being dealt with fairly, or the Hellenized 
widows weren't being dealt with fairly as maybe those that were Jewish. And so there was a role, and I believe this is the same thing according to historians, that this widow should not be taken into the number on this roll call, on this registry where they would receive at least physical provisions if they're under 60 years old. And they should be well reported of good works if they have brought up children, if they have lodged strangers, if they have washed the saints' feet, if they have relieved the afflicted, if they have diligently followed every good work, these are worthy to be supported. Those that were faithful to God, that have given up in their lives, their vocations, whatever it was, to make sacrifices to, to minister, isn't it right that they should now be ministered unto? This is what the Apostle Paul is saying. You know, you can look at your mom and, and dad now <coughs> and you can see how much they have sacrificed for you. You can see what they've, how hard they've worked for you, how much time and effort they've invested in you, how much they've loved you unconditionally. And think now, will it be right that if they become old and feeble and maybe mentally incapacitated or degenerative that now they're too much of a burden for me and you go on your own way and you leave it over to the government <coughs> do you think that that's going to be government pension is going to do it all do you think that government pension is going to satisfy their every need you think that when the bible says if you don't provide for your own you think it's only money Excuse me. What are the things that we need? Think about it. Do we just need money? Or do we need to know to be loved, to be wanted, to have company? These are the real life issues. Dear ones, whether you're converted or unconverted, this is what God is asking us to do. To attend the needs of those. <clears throat> Coming to church doesn't fulfill pure religion. You know, when, when James the Apostle says in chapter 1 of James, pure religion and undefiled before God, is what? To visit the fatherless, the widows in their affliction and keep yourself unspotted from the world. When I, my mind went back to Isaiah chapter, chapter 1. Pure religion is not just coming to church and praying and singing. That's part of it. This is what the indictment that Israel got from God through Isaiah chapter 1, verse 11. To what purpose is the multitude 
of your sacrifices unto me. Saith the Lord, I am full of burnt offerings in rams, and the fat of fed beasts. I delight not in the blood of bullocks or lambs or he goats. When ye come to appear before me, who hath required this at your hand to tread my courts? Who's asked you to do this? Bring no more vain oblations, incense, and it is an abomination unto me. The new moons and the Sabbaths and the calling of assemblies, I cannot away with. It is iniquity, even your solemn meeting, your new moons and your appointed feasts. My soul hateth, they are trouble unto me. I am weary to bear them. And when ye spread forth your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. When ye make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Wash you, make you clean, put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes. Cease to do evil. This is what he's telling the nation of Israel. It's not ceremonialism, it's not religion. It's pure religion that I'm looking for. Then he says, what is the remedy? Learn to do well. Seek justice, judgment. Relieve the oppressed. Judge the fatherless, meaning not to put them in a court case, but to judge them. Make justice for them. Do justly to them. Plead for the widow. Perhaps this is what James had in mind when he said in 127, pure religion and undefiled before God is to visit the fatherless the widows in their affliction. I'm not saying that when you come here you're being hypocritical or I'm being hypocritical. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is I'm emphasizing what God sees we need to be doing. They are his widows. They are his orphans. Like Eric Ludy said, God is telling me that's not your Hudson, that's my Hudson, the child that's on the side of the road, hungry, destitute, abandoned. Matthew 25, and this morning it was mentioned, this dire warning, both by Brother Edmund and Brother Philip. This dire warning. How will God hold us accountable for what we know? And he says, if we do not do that, look after our own, then we're worse than infidels. We've denied the faith. Because we've, we, we have rejected what God has asked us to do. All the theology in the world and all the knowledge is not going to give us answers to Christ at the judgment seat of Christ in 2 Corinthians 5 when he asks that question. 
He said, Then shall the king say unto them at his right hand, Come ye, blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was in the hungered, and ye gave me meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me in. You know how many times in Deuteronomy it talks about this? Actually, I look, I look for that word widow in the Old Testament. Eleven times in the book of Deuteronomy, it came up. And it was the most. It probably took half of the Old Testament. Eleven times. And it, it indicted those that would not take care of the stranger, the orphan, and the widow. And God promised that those that follow him, that they will be looked after. And I believe he's made that promise by his own people that they will be looked after. Naked and ye clothed me, I was sick and ye visited me, I was in prison and ye came unto me. And you say, well, we, who is in that category now? This world is saying being under the COVID pandemic is like being in prison. They're trapped in their homes. They're trapped in their countries. They cannot go here. They like, feel like they're in prison. What about our loved ones, our, our brothers and sisters who are incapacitated at home without COVID? Dear ones, are we asking too much if we say, pick up the telephone just pick up the telephone. Give dear sister so-and-so a call. Give dear brother so-and-so a call. Ask them how you're doing. How do you feel when you are down, when you are out, when you are sick, when you're isolated, when you're going through difficulties? Wouldn't you want someone to call you? I would. Is that a big sacrifice? Do we consider them brothers and sisters? I know life is busy. But this is my plea to the church. First to myself, that I need to do more. But then to all of us. Because I know I will give account to God if I haven't exhorted the congregation and reminded them what the scripture says. You know, at work I've been dealing with issues where people that are designers come to me and they say, here's our design, you need to go and present this before the big board of directors you know what my response to them is you won't be at that board I will be and I have to make sure that I am in complete agreement with your design I have to have the confidence before I get before the board that what you have presented they will be satisfied with And I had to turn down the last meeting 
I said, this is not going to fly. I will not present this. What will it be like on Judgment Day? If I know what the requirements were, if I know what God is asking me to do, if I know what God is asking us all to do, and I neglected to ask the church to pray, to beg, to plead, to exhort the church to fulfill the words of Christ and so fulfill the royal law of Christ, that we spend time calling each other. Because one day they're going to go. It's going to be too late. That's why I felt the need over the many years to visit with them and record them, to record their stories. So we can pass it on to the next generation. So that their children and grandchildren who may not have heard it before can hear it now. How much more would I have loved that I could sit with my dad and get his story, which I didn't get. I had to hear it from someone else. And it was in bits and sound bites. There's a real blessing in visiting the poor, the naked, the sick, the widows, the orphans. There's a real blessing. And we're rejecting that. This is my heartfelt plea. I apologize if I came across too rough, too demanding. But I do ask you to read the scriptures and see what God is asking you to do. To him be the glory evermore. Amen. Will the brother find him, please? Jesus also had a mother. And on the cross, he commended his mother to John and said, John, behold your mother. Mother, behold your son. He wanted to make sure that the mother that raised him was well looked after when he left. And it's not just mothers and fathers. It's anyone that needs support in the family of God. We read it in Matthew 25, the sick, those in prison, the hungry. When encountering Calvinistic teachings, I agree with them. We are saved by faith through grace, but we will be judged by our works. Two very clear, distinct teachings. We will be judged by our works. Let not the fear of judgment be the motivator May the primary motivator be our love and our compassion for our brother and sister and mother and father.
I pray that every one of us will really think about this as we go about our hectic lives, as we go about our busy lives. How long does it take for a 10 minute phone call? This is my prayer and this is what I'm taking home for myself and I pray that you will also for yourselves. To him be the glory evermore. Amen. This concludes our service.